This audio is from the Axis Church and is from our sermon series, The Gospel of Matthew, Following the Unexpected King. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. Father, it's true because you tell us that, that all we have is Christ. And so we come before you this morning humbled, And Lord, we ask that you would just expose our hearts and that you would expose our weakness and our great need for you. And Father, I pray that you would just uh, have your will. Pray that your, your spirit would come and convict us of sin. Lord, convict us of how we are seeking to live out our righteousness in a way that would gain the approval and the the applause of men rather than you. Father, we need you to be our teacher. And so we ask that you would do that. And we know that, that you've promised because of Jesus you hear us and our prayers are made acceptable in your sight because of him and only because of him so we are we're encouraged because of that and we trust that you are you're going to do your work this morning in our hearts. So Father, make your church be what you want it to be this morning as a result of your word penetrating deeply into our hearts. And we ask that we would just be able to boast and to give you glory as a result of that this morning. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. How many of you have ever felt like a hypocrite? Anybody? How many of you have ever been called a hypocrite? I'm sure most of us probably have. And I would probably say even more so that we've probably called somebody a hypocrite, right? It's probably more likely. We may not have spoken it out loud, but in our hearts, that person is really hypocritical right now. And so we can all kind of relate to that. And we don't really like hypocrisy. But Jesus, more than anybody who's ever lived, he hated hypocrisy, and specifically religious hypocrisy. And when he's, he really hated when individuals said one thing, but they did another. He hated when we try to look one way, but really inside, we're trying to gain the approval of other people by our actions or our words. And what we've seen in the past few weeks is that hypocrisy, the word for hypocrite, is literally um, a word that was used to describe a, an actor in a play. And so when Jesus calls these individuals hypocrites, he's literally calling them actors. All of their religious activity is as fake as an actor in a play. It's like being around that person who, depending on which group of people they're around, they kind of change how they act and they change maybe the words that they use and the things they like based on You know, if you're around this group of people, you like these things, and you talk about this, and you act this way, and then you're around that person with this group of people, and it's like, is this the same person? Like, they change according to, to who they're around. A hypocrite is someone who doesn't practice what they preach. It's someone who pretends to be one way, but they're really another. The reliable source, UrbanDictionary.com, are you familiar with this? It gives a, several definitions of a hypocrite, but one of the definitions that, that I thought was interesting 
It says that a hypocrite is a taboo yet accurate reference to all of humanity. In other words, all of us are hypocrites in one way or another. And that's the problem. All of us are hypocrites. And as Christians, we all fall somewhere in the continuum of hypocrisy. We're all failing to live up to the standards that we say we hold to and that Christ calls us to. And so as disciples of Jesus, he's consistently and always transforming us from being hypocrites more and more into his image. And so we're always moving from from hypocrisy towards righteousness and holiness and perfection, while simultaneously in our hearts failing to live up to the standards that, that Jesus calls us to. And so Jesus, because he's the great teacher and because he knows our hearts, he warns us and he cautions us regarding hypocrisy. And he defines hypocrisy in this passage specifically as doing acts of righteousness, like giving to the poor, like praying, like fasting, with the sole intention of hoping to be seen by others. Have you ever been complimented for doing a good deed? I'm sure that at some point you've you know, given to somebody in need or you've, um, maybe you see a mother with several kids and her groceries and she's struggling to get things in the car and things, her car goes, you know, rolling down the, the, uh, the lane and you're trying to help her and, you know, she thanks you and really just afterward, you know, you feel kind of good about yourself or maybe you're, you've been complimented by a, a church leader about, you know, how you're leading some certain area of ministry. Or maybe after your access community discussion, your, your group leader, you know, compliments you and thank you for your, your wise words in, in our discussion. I really appreciate that. And maybe it was with good intentions, but as soon as that, as soon as you taste that, it feels good and it's so enticing that you, you really like the way it feels to be complimented. It's like a drug. And Jesus tells us that, that as we grow in righteousness, that we need to be aware of the fact that we can practice religion and righteousness in a way that's blasphemous to God. On the outside, we can look holy and righteous, but in our hearts, we are worshiping approval and ultimately worshiping ourselves. And this is a temptation for every single person sitting here this morning. Nobody's exempt from this temptation. And that's the context that we find Jesus teaching us about fasting. And so what is, what is fasting? Fasting is something that's practiced by virtually all religions. Um, some of you may be aware that at sundown last night, one of the five pillars of the Muslim faith began, Ramadan. And so there are millions of Muslims around the world For the next month, from sunrise to sunset, they'll be practicing fasting from all food and drink. And this is basically the holiest month of the year for Muslims. And so every day they're they're practicing this fast in order to, to purify their soul and reorient their focus on Allah. But Jesus here is teaching us what what true fasting is. And so if we're going to give a definition of what fasting is, you may say that fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food 
or anything good for a spiritual purpose. And in the Bible, specifically in this passage, Jesus is really teaching us that fasting is voluntary abstinence from food in particular for some extended period of time. And fasting in Jesus' day, it happened both corporately, they would do it nationally at times, but they would also do it individually. And so we see much fasting in the Old Testament. Um, and normally this, was, this fasting was accompanied by, by uh, sadness and mourning. They would put sackcloth, this, this black goat's hair on their, on their bodies and kind of wear it around and they would put ashes on their head. So you, you see sometimes, maybe in Job, for example, that, that Job says he repents in dust and ashes. And they would do this as a way to humble themselves before God and seek Him for some spiritual purpose. And so individuals would fast. They would abstain from food as an expression of brokenness and desperation and mourning. Sometimes they would do this to make specific petitions to God. Maybe there's a famine and they would fast and seek God and, and ask Him to intervene in this situation. They would do this to repent of sin. Sometimes they would do this to, to pursue wisdom and guidance. We see the early church doing this. But we should note that fasting was always related and always directed to God. So your mourning, your petitions, your, your repentance... You're seeking of wisdom and guidance. It was always seeking the Lord in these things. Fasting was something you did when things weren't going the way you wanted. And so you would seek the Lord and ask him to intervene on your behalf or on the behalf of your nation, your community. And we see in the Old Testament that the prophets often criticized God's people for fasting with hypocrisy. They basically turned this spiritual discipline into a way to... Uh, manipulate God, like we're going to fast, we're going to manipulate God and get him to cause him to answer our prayers. And so they would bow their head and they would, they would have put ashes on their head, supposedly humbling themselves, but really they're trying to manipulate God to answering their prayers. And so Jesus comes teaching in line with the prophets of the Old Testament and criticizing they're fasting. And so in verse 16, we read in Matthew 6, verse 16, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces in order that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. Notice first that Jesus doesn't say, If you fast. Rather, he says, when you fast. Jesus assumes that those in the kingdom, that his disciples will fast. And fasting is a, it's a spiritual practice that's honestly been largely ignored in the church today, especially in America. But fasting is something that's mentioned over 75 times in the Bible. It's mentioned actually even more than something like baptism. And in the context of this passage, we probably all relate really well to maybe giving to the poor or praying. Like we talk about those things a lot, but we largely don't really want to talk about fasting. We have kind of a fasting phobia. Um, we don't really, nobody wants to give up food. Like we think we're going to die if we miss a meal. Unless it's something really important that we're, you know, wanting to do. Um, and I think one of the reasons that we're 
we so ignore and discount fasting is because we've, we really emphasize personal spiritual religion, like inward religion of the heart and spirit and, and soul. And we don't really come to terms with an outward spiritual discipline that has to do with our bodies. We really want to separate soul and body most of the time. And that's not, we, we kind of think they're not related, but really they are. They're very intimately related, and God cares about both what happens with our souls and our bodies, and both belong to Him for His glory. So Jesus says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. To look gloomy means to basically maintain a sad-faced expression that portrays gloom and suffering and mourning. Again, fasting was connected with with mourning and repentance. And so these hypocritical actors had to, they kind of had to have facial expressions that would be convincing in their performance for those who are watching. They kind of had to play the part, right? And Jesus condemns putting on a sad face that points to our fasting while inwardly being happy about the attention that we're receiving because we're fasting. Jesus also says these hypocrites disfigure their faces. Why? He says, in order that they may be, that their fasting may be seen by others. This phrase literally means to make your face disappear. And this likely refers to that, to that practice of putting ashes on your face as an expression of mourning and repentance. And we also know that actors in plays, they would, they would put on wooden masks to cover their face in order to depict the role that they were trying to, to play. And so in a very similar fashion, these religious people of Jesus' day, they would cover their face. And the irony is that they, they make their faces disappear so that they would appear to men. They try to cover their face and, and play the part so that they will be seen by others. What was supposed to be a way of pursuing relationship with the Father became a self-centered way to promote self and invite the approval of men rather than God. So these religious folk would they put on their painful expressions and go about their business with ashes on their head, wearing sackcloth, obvious what they're doing, all to inform their peers that they're fasting. It became a way of self-promotion rather than humility before God. And Jesus says this being seen, all this attention that they're going to get by doing this, that is the reward. Friends, the danger of hypocrisy is that it, it is so often successful in getting what it wants, namely the, the praise of men. But that's all it gets. And so Jesus says, beware of doing this. But he teaches his disciples in verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. What does that mean? Washing one's face often helps basically conceal that you've been mourning and weeping. Um, we see in Genesis, for example, that Joseph, when he sees his brothers in Egypt and they come to him and he, he leaves and he, he's weeping and 
says before he goes back out to them, he washes his face so that they would basically not know that he'd been weeping, to kind of conceal his mourning. We've all probably at one time or another have wept, and maybe somebody walks in or whatever it is, like we got to go somewhere in like five minutes, and so we go and we put water on our face, maybe you go take a quick shower, just to conceal that you've been upset and, and that nobody knows that you're, you're upset anymore and you're, you haven't been crying. So I, basically what Jesus is saying is when you fast, wash the ashes off your face, brush your hair, clean up, don't let your appearance tell everybody else that you're fasting. Before you go into public, clean up. And what's the purpose in that? Verse 18, he says, in order that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so these commands are given to his disciples by Jesus so that their fasting may not be seen. But it is seen by, by the Father. And so Jesus makes fasting a matter between the disciple and the Father. Friends, there is an audience watching you when you fast. But the only audience before whom we should really be fasting is God the Father, is what Jesus says. Fasting has nothing to do with creating an impression on others. And it's here that we see that Jesus takes very seriously the disciplines of the Christian. The heart of fasting is to get to the Father. The heart of fasting is a hunger for God. It's about relationship. It's about giving up something we need physically in order to devote ourselves to spiritual things. And Jesus is very concerned that we know the way to get to the Father. He wants us to structure our lives around Him because it's truly the Father who sees your heart and who sees your activity. But how, how often do we not pursue spiritual disciplines for the sake of the Father, but just to be seen? And so the goal of fasting, the purpose of fasting, is communion with God. And Jesus refers to God as Father ten times in these, these 18 verses here, which reveals that our spiritual disciplines, all of them, are about knowing and communing with God. They're about relationship with God. And fasting from food is ultimately about a hunger for God and feasting ultimately on the only thing that will really and truly satisfy us. So how, how do we know from this passage that fasting is about a hunger for God? We know because of what Jesus condemns in these hypocrites. Jesus says, when you fast, don't make it appear to men that you're fasting. Don't look like you're fasting. But if you, if you really think about it, isn't that hypocrisy? Doesn't that seem kind of hypocritical? Like Jesus says, don't. Don't let people know you're fasting when you're fasting. But isn't hypocrisy looking out one way on the outside but really being another? Why isn't what Jesus says to do hypocrisy? I mean, at least these supposed hypocrites, at least they look like they're fasting while they're fasting, right? And here's why. The heart that motivates fasting is supposed to be a heart for God. 
It's supposed to be, a, be about a hunger for God. True fasting is always related to knowing and to seek, about seeking God. It's fasting that's to be done to be seen by the Father because you hunger for Him, because you need Him. But the heart motivation of these hypocrites is a heart for human approval and human applause. It's about the praise of men for them. And so they may be open and transparent about what they're doing, but really it doesn't reveal their heart's motive. It's really deceptive. One pastor theologian puts it like this. He says, if, they, if the hypocrites really wanted to be open about what they're doing, they would need to wear a sign around their necks that says, the bottom line reward in my fasting is the praise of men. Then they would not be hypocrites, but they would be openly and transparently vain. So friends, we can practice fasting we can practice any spiritual discipline in such a way that seems like you are hungering for God, but on the inside you're hungry for the approval and the acceptance and the applause of man. And if that's you, that, that is your satisfaction. That's your God. That's your reward. It's not, it's not wrong to be seen fasting, but it is wrong to fast in order to be seen by men. And this is, this is honestly what just really hit me this week, um, just in regard to my own heart. Our heart's motivation is so deeply skewed and sinful I mean, how often are our hearts motivated by the applause and the approval of others in our church and ministry activity? I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really just sad in one way, but heartbreaking to think that there are some of you here this morning at this gathering to be seen. Some of you are in an Axis community to be seen going to an Axis community. Some of you serve maybe on Sunday mornings or you speak words of encouragement to your friends and your coworkers and you pray in a group and you volunteer to do this and that just to be seen. You go to coffee shops and you, you take your C.S. Lewis books and your, your Bible and it's just about human approval really. And the thing is, like, we talk about godliness and holiness and sanctification, and Jesus wants his people to be holy. He wants his people to be different and distinct. But I think in these disciplines, and as we grow in maturity towards righteousness, the temptation is always there. And Jesus is passionately telling us, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. Be on guard. Watch yourselves. Because when you practice it before men in order to be seen, you will lose the eternal reward of knowing your Father and, and the eternal reward of having God Himself in your relationship with Him. And it, this, this shouldn't surprise us. Over and over and over in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets at our hearts. 
He gets to our motives. And Jesus desires that when we give and when we pray and when we fast, it should be a way to know more of the Father. He is our audience. And Jesus says to portray that you are hungering for God while in reality you are hungering for the feast of human approval, that is hypocrisy. And the reality and the bad news is that every single one of us fit into that category. We are all hypocrites. We all deeply, deeply seek and are starving for human approval and satisfaction from knowing that somebody is clapping for us. We, we want that so much. And the good news of the gospel is that hypocrites are welcome into the kingdom of God because of Christ. The good news is that Jesus saves hypocrites. The good news of the gospel is that the perfect righteousness that he requires of his people He actually provides for them by living perfectly in their place and dying the death that we all deserve because of our unrighteousness and because of our hypocrisy. And the difference between hypocrites is that some continue trusting in themselves and continue seeking the approval of others, while some, by grace alone, through faith alone, turn to Christ alone for their approval and their acceptance and their eternal reward of knowing God the Father. Jesus saves imperfect, sinful people. That that is the gospel. And the real trouble with these hypocrites is that they don't know God as Heavenly Father. They're only, they're, they're insecure before God about their relationship to Him, and therefore they seek security in what others think of them. And it's only when we seek this and know God as Father that we can be secure in our relationship with Him and in His presence. But even as disciples, even as followers of Jesus, there's a danger of hearing God's commands and his requirements, and trying to obey them in order to get the attention and the praise of men. It's honestly pretending to have a relationship with God when you don't. And I just want to ask you, like, what are you gaining from doing that? Like, what do we gain from having somebody think that we're more godly than we really are? And when we think about fasting, that's what Jesus is condemning here. Don't appear to be godly by fasting when that's not your heart. Because the heart of fasting is, Father, I need you. I'm hungry to know you. I need you to to intervene in this situation. Father, I need more of you. Fasting is a a self-discipline that denies yourself good things like food in order to increase and to pursue a hunger for God. So fasting is, is a time to set aside. I'm setting aside this time that I would normally eat, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to press into God, and I'm going to seek Him and ask for a greater knowledge of Him. I want to press in and know you. And so in this context, Jesus is honestly primarily concerned with fasting from food. I mean, there are 
there's a way to fast from other things, but here he's primarily talking about food. And one of the reasons is because he has given us physical appetites to show us ultimately our need for God. You know why you have to eat every day? It's because you're a creature created in God's image, and he is going to make sure that you know that you are dependent on him. And our physical hunger, it reminds us of the spiritual hunger that we long to satisfy. And fasting, it's a way to turn away from that physical hunger and physical fulfillment and direct that toward knowing and hungering for God. And so when you feel the physical hunger, you're reminded, Lord, I need you. I need you to sustain me. I can't, I can't go six hours without you feeding me. And so, Father, that, that is what I want my heart to do. That is how I want to long for you. But that's not what we see happening with these hypocrites. These religious people who just want to be seen, they, they fast in order to have the appearance of godliness and the appearance of a hunger for God so that people will be impressed. Essentially, they're saying, like, I, I want to look like I know God. I don't really want to know him. I just want to look like it. And do you see how your heart is drawn? How much we love the praise of men. We want people to think we're more godly than we are. I, I want that for whatever reason, because my heart is sinful. It's so enticing. Honestly, we can start out even with pure motives and then somebody compliment us and praise us because they see something in us, an evidence of grace, and we turn that into a way to seek their, their praise even more. And friends, we talk about the gospel and we talk about community and accountability and godliness and sanctification and ministry and being a missionary so much that I'm afraid that oftentimes we lose the Father in all of that. We miss Jesus' call to beware of practicing our righteousness before men. And we can be so easily deceived and so easily believe the lie that godliness is having others being impressed with your righteousness. And so we, all these people are telling me how great I am. I must be godly. And we think that is actual godliness. And Nashville and the South are full of good church people who spend their lives impressing one another. And we become satisfied with pretending to know God more than truly being satisfied with actually knowing Him. Friends, I don't think we fast and pray because I don't think we feel that we actually need God. We think we're okay. We think we've got this pretty much figured out. But friends, God is not tricked, nor is he impressed with your supposed righteousness or mine. Jesus is calling us to recognize that he has made us children in the family of God. He has loved us. He has chosen us. He's made us kingdom citizens, and he wants our hearts, not our performance. And honestly, that's good news for us. Hudson Taylor, um, who's a missionary to China for 
51 years actually, in the 1800s. He writes about Chinese Christians and their practice of fasting. And he says, in Shanzai, I found Chinese Christians who were accustomed to spend time in fasting and in prayer. They recognized that this fasting, which so many people dislike, and which requires faith in God, because it makes one feel weak and poorly, is really a divinely appointed means of grace. Perhaps the greatest hindrance to our work is our own imagined strength. In fasting, we learn what poor, weak creatures we are, dependent on a meal of meat for the little strength which we are so apt to lean upon. Friends, we are weak, we are poor, we are unable to do anything without Jesus. But we don't fast and pray because we think those things actually aren't true of us. Or maybe we've just become filled with the praise of men and we're satisfied with that. And, and honestly, like I, I'm so skeptical and I want to be seen by the Father so much that I, I don't believe that He actually sees and so I substitute that with the, the praise and, of men because they somebody sees, somebody praises when really I'm seeking the praise and the approval and the acceptance of the Father. And that's the only thing that's going to truly satisfy us. And that comes freely and fully through Christ Jesus. And so Jesus gives us instructions here that really test our hearts. He says that when we're fasting or when we're giving or when we're praying, don't make any effort to be seen. Actually make efforts in order not to be seen by others. And he tests the reality of God in our lives because it's so easy to do religious things when people are watching. And we can be so religious that we leave the Father out of the picture. Jesus doesn't necessarily give us a command to fast here, but he does expect it. He does assume it. He, he knows that those who are, who are part of his kingdom are going to hunger and thirst after God himself. And it's, fasting is a way of saying that, that our relationship with God is so important that we're going to give up good things. We're going to deny ourselves. We're going to practice self-control and self-discipline in order to focus on knowing him and, and pursuing him and seeking his face even more so than, than what we would normally do. It's a way of, to devote ourselves to feeding on the Word and praying to Him and directing our hearts and directing our physical hunger towards God Himself. And so I, I simply just want to ask, like, will you fast as the Spirit directs you? Like, will you be obedient to the Spirit's prompting in your heart and in your life to fast and to, to make this something that is a, a, just a regular spiritual discipline in our lives? Because Jesus expected his followers to fast, I, I believe that the Spirit is going to convict us and move us to do this. And the good news is that, that God promises to see he does see us, and he promises to reward 
those who do this with pure hearts. And the reward, it's not, it's not some other thing other than God. No, it's a deeper relationship and a deeper hunger for God himself. Hypocrisy is fueled by the desire to be known, by the desire to be approved, by the desire to be recognized by men. We desperately want somebody to see and to say, you are good enough. And the solution for this is finding our acceptance and our approval with the Father because of Jesus. The Father wants a deep, real, personal, authentic relationship with you. And this is made possible, friends, through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's through Him that we are made acceptable and pleasing to God. And when we fast and we do it in a way that we're not trying to be seen by others, Jesus says that the Father who sees in secret will reward you. So be be encouraged. God sees you. He sees and He knows the desires of your heart. He sees when you are seeking Him. He sees when you are not seeking the approval of others but of, out of a hunger for Him and out of a hunger for His glory to be made known. He sees when we're acting out of our, our weakness and our dependence upon Him. And He promises that He will see and He will reward us, not as a result of our fasting and our good works, but because He wants a relationship with us. And He promises the Lord and creator of all things promises to do this. And we know because of Jesus, and because all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, and because of his work for his people, that he will keep his promises to reward us with himself. And that's... That's the best news in the world, that we have the ability to have a real relationship with God himself through Jesus. And we don't have to depend on the approval and applaud of others to be satisfied. And so as we move into communion now, we have the opportunity to remember the gospel and to remember that it is the gospel it is it is Jesus Christ and him crucified that repairs our relationship with God and enables us to to come to him with boldness and with confidence that he loves us and that he accepts us because of his son and not because of our righteousness the lord's table is a is a family meal when we come together as family as disciples of Jesus and we remember the body of Christ broken for us and we remember his blood that is poured out that cleanses us from our sins and unrighteousness and this is a special meal for Christ's followers and so if you are not trusting Jesus this morning if you're not trusting him as your righteousness and as your hope and as your your satisfaction If you've never done that, we ask that you not partake of this meal, but rather we invite you to take Christ this morning. It is there that your heart will find the satisfaction that you're so longing for. We're going to have broken pieces of bread, which 
could say, represent the body of Christ broken for us. We're going to have wine or juice, depending on your age or conscience, which represents the blood of Christ that was spilled on our behalf and because of our sin. And we're going to come, we're going to dip the, the bread and the juice or wine, and as we do this, we come remembering what Christ has done for us in His life and death. But we come celebrating as well because we know that one day Christ is coming again and we will partake this meal with Him face to face. And so I invite you to to take your time to pray, to remember what the Lord has done on your behalf and for you because of His great love. I invite you to to think how the Spirit is convicting you, to, to be open to that. So let me pray for us, and I invite you to come as the band comes. There's going to be music, and, and you can pray and, and really seek the Lord during this time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us even physical appetites to remind us of how much we need you and how desperate we are for you. And Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts even now to that reality. Father, I pray that you would just forbid that any person would leave here thinking that they have it together. Lord, would you give us a holy distaste for the praise and applause of men? And would you increase our heart's desire for you and for your glory? Father, we can't do this on our own. We can't make ourselves or motivate ourselves. So Lord, we trust you. We ask you to do this on our behalf. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who seeks you, who desires true, authentic relationship with you. And that as a result of that, that you would give us authentic community with one another, where we can be open about our sin, where we can be open about our our desires for the applause of each other. Lord, would you help us confess that even right now? during this time of communion. And Lord, would you ultimately encourage us by the gospel, encourage us through your great love in sending your Son to pay the penalty for our sins and for giving us the perfect righteousness that has given us access to you. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.